What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on my main platform being Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, YouTube at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, even TikTok at Deep Dive FF. And as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. With that being said, let's get into the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into another episode of Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Let's go! Week one is in the books, finally. Finally, we have football. Football is back. I am super excited to record this podcast. We've got lots to go over, a lot of things that we learned in week one, a lot of things that I got right, a lot of things that I got wrong. We're going to talk about all of it. We're also going to talk about what I project for week two, my start sits, best bets, all that good stuff. But first, we got to start with some of the things that we've learned because it's the most important thing, especially out of all weeks, week one, right? So that's what we're going to get into right now. But I will let you know that I don't have crazy amount of things I want to hit on for every single game. This podcast would go on forever, so I'm going to try and keep it short and sweet, hopefully, but who knows? I may just go on tangents and end up making this podcast way too long. We'll see what happens, but I'm going to kind of just try to make it quick, but I'm going to let it flow, you know, let the knowledge flow. So let's talk about what we learned. We'll start with the first game of the season. That was the Bucks cowboys game. It was a little bit, you know, a while ago now. You're listening to this on a Wednesday at the earliest, because that's when it comes out. So it's been almost a week since the game, so maybe there's a few things we forgot or some things that we never really noticed. So some things that I noticed in this game is one, Antonio Brown. He is in top form. Mike Evans. A lot of people are freaking out, worried about Mike Evans. I am not. And I will actually say... That Mike Evans, it seemed to me, when I was watching the game, facial expressions, the way he was running his routes, all that stuff, something seemed off. I'm pretty sure Mike Evans has an undisclosed injury. And it, that's what it looked like to me. And I am a Bucks fan. I watch every single snap for the last eight years or ten years of the Bucks. Yeah, probably like ten years. And Mike Evans just looked off, and I'm pretty sure he was injured because I saw him wincing and stuff like that here and there. So not only was he probably dealing with an undisclosed injury because he's a tough guy, he almost never misses games. It's part of the reason why he's the NFL record holder for consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. And he also had to deal with a pretty good corner. Trayvon Diggs seemed to take some steps forward. If week one is any indication of what the rest of his season is going to look like, then he definitely took steps forward from last year. And he was on Mike Evans most of the time. So when you've got mad weapons, it's easy for Tom Brady to say, hey, I'm going to look elsewhere. So not too worried about Mike Evans. Antonio Brown looks great. Carlton Davis is still locking down wide receivers. He is somebody that you want to stay away from in fantasy. The reason that all the wide receivers seem to do good for Dallas was because Dallas moves everyone around. Gallup, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, all of them were being moved to the outside in the slot. So Carlton Davis was not just staying on one guy most of the game. That's why they were all able to have stats. But the stats against Carlton Davis himself were super, super low. Carlton knows what he's doing. He's locking down guys week in, week out. The only person he can't lock down, it seems like, is the super fast Tyreek Hill. So stay away from Carlton when you can. 
Dallas, they're back to that throw-first mentality. Dak Prescott was throwing 50 times a game last season before he got hurt. He threw 58, I think, times this in this first game, so that's ridiculous. It won't be that bad. It's probably going to be an average of maybe like 44, 45 over the season, but that's a lot, and it gives CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper both potential to finish inside the top 12 wide receivers. And if you remember, I had Amari Cooper as wide receiver 12, CeeDee Lamb as wide receiver 15. So I already had it almost ranked that way, and I definitely see it as a possibility now. Lastly, Dak Prescott is back, looks great. Let's talk about the Texans-Jaguars game. Not too much. Mark Ingram is clearly the running back one for the Texans. He had 26 attempts, rush attempts. So he was topping the charts almost. I think he was second, had the second most carries in week one, only to Joe Mixon, who we'll talk about in a bit. But Mark Ingram's clearly the RB1 for the Texans. Still not sure how much I want him. He is on waivers or was on waivers. I probably would not have spent more than a couple dollars on him because the Texans, that's the best game they're going to have all season in terms of game scripts, just everything. So how much they won by, all that stuff. I still think the Texans are one of the worst teams in the league. The Jags offense, there were lots of drops from all of the wide receivers, and it made Trevor Lawrence's day a lot less impressive than it could have been in terms of the stat category. If you're looking at the box score, you're like, okay, Trevor Lawrence had a decent debut as a rookie. No, his debut was better. A lot of guys just didn't come through for him and were dropping balls. So Trevor Lawrence, I'm kind of kind of optimistic that he could be usable this season. Definitely looking great for Dynasty. Nobody questioned that in the first place. James Robinson, this is the biggest problem. James Robinson got less carries than Carlos Hyde? For why? For why? Why is James Robinson getting less carries than Carlos Hyde? Urban Meyer, you're killing me. You're killing me. Chargers, Washington football team. Mike Williams, the role expansion talk all offseason has been validated. He got plenty of targets. He had some balls he definitely should have brought in, as a lot of wider receivers do, and they don't bring them in. But Mike Williams had a lot of targets, had some nice impressive catches, looks good. I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. He's a solid wide receiver three flex play every single week. It seems like Larry Roundtree is the handcuff to have if you are somebody that likes to handcuff for Austin Eckler. The running back position for the Los Angeles Chargers had one target. One target to the entire position. That is concerning for Austin Eckler if it continues, but there's something else that's positive for Austin Eckler, and that's the fact that in week one, he led the running backs in red zone touches. So that's actually awesome, and that was something that we've talked about over the offseason, how Austin Eckler, what he's always been lacking is the touchdowns, and if he just gets usage similar to Alvin Kamara, like Joe Lombardi, who is now with the Chargers, he just came from the Saints last year. If he wanted to use Austin Eckler in a similar light as Alvin Kamara, that would definitely raise Eckler's ceiling, and that's what we saw. So as long as the targets go up, if he still gets that red zone usage, Austin Eckler has a great chance to be a top three running back this year. Antonio Gibson on the other side of the ball, 25 touches. Workhorse, workhorse. He, at one point in time, had four three or four targets, and the team had five or six pass attempts. It was, I was loving it, absolutely loving it. Antonio Gibson, he may not be on the field all the time for every third down because McKissick will come in, but when Gibson's on the field, he's getting targeted often, so you gotta love it. 
Then we've got the Eagles-Falcons game. And so overall, Antonio Gibson, I would say he's top 10 running back. That's I had him at RB10, I think, RB10 or 11. He's a top 10 running back with great potential, especially if Taylor Heineke makes that offense really good now that Fitzpatrick has been placed on IR. Talk about Eagles-Falcons. Eagles looked really, really good. Kenny Gainwell got the receiving role that I projected that nobody agreed with. I was telling everyone, Kenny Gainwell, Naheem Hines' role. It makes sense. He was the best receiving running back, maybe second to Najee Harris. If you say Najee is better, it's debatable. They're both very good. And that's what he would be drafted for, a third third or fourth round pick. Obviously, they're putting some type of investment in him, despite already having Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, so and Jordan Howard. So clearly, they're going to use him. And so I thought he would be used in a receiving Role and sure enough, he was. He actually almost had two touchdowns and said only had one. He shouldn't have been on the waiver wire if you listen to my podcast, which obviously you do. So hopefully, he's already on your team because he was pretty much undrafted in every single league I went in or played in, except the fact that I always drafted him. But if I never drafted him in the last round, he would have been undrafted in every one of my leagues. So Kenny Gainwell is hopefully on your team, but if he's not, go pick him up because something happens to Miles Sanders, great upside. Miles Sanders, he is interesting because he looks really good. And that offense looked really good. But that offense had a nice game and a really nice matchup versus the Falcons. It's going to be important to pay attention to how Miles Sanders is used, how many touches he gets, especially with Kenny Gainwell already being involved and Jalen Hurts running the ball and looking good. So I think his quarterback, his quarterback start position for the rest of the year is pretty safe. I don't think Minshew's going to beat him out unless something crazy happens. So Jalen Hurts, he's also going to limit the volume for Miles Sanders. So we need to pay attention to, hey, when they're not able to do whatever they want because the defense is horrible, how is Miles Sanders performing for fantasy? He's always going to have upside to hit like a 50, 60-yard, 70-yard touchdown run, but you don't really want to rely on that. Devonta Smith, he's the clear go-to. He had four targets in a row in the first half. Four plays in a row were targets right to Devonta Smith. And I was like, okay, I was definitely wrong here. Because you guys know, I didn't really think Devonta Smith, and, and maybe it still proves to be true. I mean, we're only one week in. But I didn't think Devonta Smith was somebody that they would feel comfortable targeting seven to ten times a game. And he'd be more in that five, six target range every game well he already broke that barrier in week one he's a rookie wide receiver he looked good so as long as he can stay healthy and doesn't get banged up then Devonta Smith is looking very very good solid flex play all year if he keeps that up and Mike Davis lastly not too much on the Falcons Kyle Pitts got like eight targets he didn't do too great with the targets but it's to be expected rookie tight ends always struggle the targets are super promising though because that doesn't usually ever happen with rookie tight ends Aside from that, Mike Davis, he looked improved as a runner. He has some good strength, some good balance. He had six targets. So if you listen to the podcast with me and Sia, Sia was right on that one. He is getting that receiving work. And overall, Mike Davis, still not great efficiency-wise. He just looked better. But that's a tough situation in Atlanta. Their defense sucks. They're probably going to be in a lot of negative game scripts. So it's going to be hard for Mike Davis to really shine and we'll see how the red zone usage for him looks moving forward. Then we've got the Panthers-Jets game. Adam Gase ruins everything, a.k.a. Sam Darnold looked pretty good. Robbie Anderson, concerningly low usage. Three targets, one deep ball. 
that was it, and he had a good day. So we will be talking about him later in another segment. The And I don't really have much on the Jets. Corey Davis had two touchdowns. Zach Wilson looked okay. Not bad. Not great. Solid rookie week one performance versus a bad defense. Or, or not bad, but like average-ish defense. Corey Davis is about what I thought he was, and that's why I drafted him everywhere. He's the clear go-to guy for Zach Wilson. Lions 49ers game. So I'm sure everyone's already touched and and talked about and tired of hearing what happened to Brandon Ayuk, what happened to Trey Sermon. All I'm going to say on the matter is the San Francisco 49ers beat writers don't even know what happened. So super unpredictable, kind of scary that that can happen without anybody even knowing it's coming. So outside of that, I don't have anything to say on that. The Lions wide receivers, they're getting used as minimally as I thought and as I projected. A lot of people gave me a hard time. Brandon, the wide receiver group has to get more work than what you're projecting for this coming season. I was always arguing, I don't I don't see why. TJ Hawkinson is their best player. DeAndre Swift is their next best player in terms of receiving. Overall, I would say Swift is their best player. But TJ Hawkinson is their best receiving threat. Then DeAndre Swift. Why do their wide receivers need to get a whole bunch of targets? Well, this is what we saw this week. The three target leaders, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, and then Jamal Williams. Come on, guys. Come on. Wide receiver is clearly not going to be something you want to invest in on this Detroit team. DeAndre Swift is being used exactly as I projected in the Austin Eckler rule with those 11 targets and the lighter carries, only nine carries. Jamal, I think it was nine. Jamal Williams, he got a good workload too. He got nine targets, nine carries. So that's kind of interesting. The one thing is people might say, okay, Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift, they seem to be almost splitting 50-50 in terms of overall touches. But I'm going to argue that DeAndre Swift is not 100% back from his injury. He's been injured all in camp. So it makes sense for them to use Jamal more. And DeAndre Swift was better, looked better. And as he gets healthier, he will take a bigger share. So even when they're not able to give as many touches and run as many total plays on offense on a week-to-week basis as they did in week one versus the 49ers, it's not going to hurt DeAndre Swift too much if he's able to take more of that share as he gets healthier. Debo Samuel, 12 targets over Brandon Ayuk's zero, as we've already talked about. George Kittle had just five targets. This is something that concerned me. This is a problem with the offense overall, and it's why I have no shares of Debo Samuel. No shares of George Kittle. And I only had one share of Brandon Ayuk, and I got lucky, I guess, and I traded him away in a package deal right before the the first games kicked off on Sunday. So, and it was like, it had nothing to do with any of the reports that we're hearing now. It was just somebody was interested in Ayuk, so I packaged him in a deal and sent him off on his way. So anyways, this is the problem with the offense for the 49ers, especially when Trey Lance ends up taking over. There's not that much volume in the passing game to go around for Debo, Kittle, and Ayuk once he starts getting work. I mean, Kittle had only five targets in this game, and they threw a decent amount in this game. So it's pretty concerning. That's why Waller was the tight end two for me without hesitation, and why I was telling you guys Darren Waller is worth a first-round pick. You'll never have to use a first-round pick on him, and you'll get him in the second every time, but that's what he's worth, and I never said anything remotely close to that for George Kittle, and that's for this reason. Let's talk about the Cardinals and the Titans. 
The Titans are going to be apparently a dream matchup for fantasy all season. The defense is horrible. It's worse than I thought it would have been. Chase Edmonds, James Conner are splitting almost exactly 50-50. Kyler looks great. Rondell Moore is getting some good usage. Bills Steelers, Cole Beasley is the wide receiver too still. Gabriel Davis got a touchdown and he ended up being a decent DFS play, somebody for cheap that I was recommending, but Cole Beasley seems to be the wide receiver too, so I'm not going to be too excited about Gabriel Davis. I'm going to hold him though and see if he develops that role that I'm expecting him to get eventually, whether it's this year or next year, as the solid wide receiver too behind Diggs. Seahawks Colts, I didn't have much on the Steelers. Najee had a rough time, but it wasn't really his fault. I want to see him this coming week versus, I think, the Raiders they're playing. I think that'll be a good game to judge Najee moving forward for the rest of the season. How does he do against the Raiders' defense? Seahawks-Colts. The two target leaders for the Colts were Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor. What happened to Michael Pittman? That one stung me. I recommended him in DFS. I put him in my own DFS lineups, and I drafted him everywhere, despite the fact that I never really thought he was that talented. I've said that so many times, but just the opportunity for volume is what always pushed me towards him later in drafts, especially because I do wait on wide receiver, as you guys know. Michael Pittman, apparently, I don't don't know. I don't know. We're going to wait and see. I'm not going to drop him. Obviously, that's an extreme overreaction. I'm hoping he starts to get more work, but as of right now, you can't start him. You can't trust him. He only had four targets, so that's rough, and Seattle looked great the normal Seattle we know, so not too much to talk about there. Bengals, Vikings. Here we go. Another workhorse alongside Antonio Gibson. We've got Joe Mixon, 33 total touches, 29 carries, four receptions. Joe Burrow only passed the ball 27 times, which hurt all of the wide receivers. You might be saying, but what do you mean? You're only saying that because Tyler Boyd didn't have a good game. No, it really does hurt all the wide receivers because there's not a lot of volume to go around. I don't think that that's going to continue. Joe Burrow's 27 pass attempts was a product of winning the game. They're not going to be winning very many games. Newsflash, it's the Cincinnati Bengals. So as I still project them to have a top five pick, at best top eight pick in the upcoming NFL draft, meaning they're going to be a bottom tier team the entire season and have a very bad record and be behind in a lot of games, Joe Burrow's going to throw more than 27 times. He's going to get back up to the 35 to 40 pass attempts per game range, which is going to be better for T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. A lot of you guys might be freaking out about Tyler Boyd. I'm not. It's one game. Don't freak out. He only passed the ball 27 times. Only so many people can have a good game when that's the case, and that's the volume that's available. Jamar Chase did have a good showing. He led wide receivers in targets, so I may eat my words by saying Jamar Chase was going to be third in targets. I may eat my words, but we'll see. It's only week one, so I'm not trying to overreact. Adam Thielen had two touchdowns, of course, because all everyone that does any analytics has been preaching is Adam Thielen touchdown regression. So, of course, he has to make us look stupid and get two touchdowns in week one. I'm still on the, the side of Thielen is not going to continue this. So I'm not too, too worried or too excited about Thielen. Not too worried that he's going to prove me wrong is what I meant. And it was versus a bad secondary. So please sell him and he will be in the buys and sells category that we're going to talk about after the wrap-up of the games so then we've got the saints and the packers the saints offense was clearly good enough to give alvin Kamara the possibility of having another elite season at the running back position Taysom hill he might might 
end up annoying Jameis Winston owners in the red zone, stealing away touchdown opportunities. Aaron Rodgers is always reckless when down big. Nobody really realizes this. Granted, because the Packers are not really two scores behind many, many times a season, but when they are, Aaron Rodgers becomes Jameis Winston super reckless, doesn't care at all about you know, processing, hey, is this a good decision or should I just live to see another down? No, he just does whatever he wants, puts in the launch codes and lets it fly. Obviously, that was not a great decision. That's It's usually never a good decision. So a lot of people are freaking out about Aaron Rodgers. I'm not. Why am I not? Because I already knew he was going to be worse this year than last year. Now, obviously, he's going to be way better than his 3.4 point week one, okay? But he's not going to be 20 four 25 points a game like he was last year because as you guys know if you listen to the podcast he doubled his career touchdown rate he doubled it last year he was way more efficient in yards per attempt last year than his career and it just it's not sustainable it's not something that was going to happen again this year and that's clear to me so Aaron Rodgers was my quarterback 12 this season when he was like six or seven for most people so that's why I'm not really worried about it. Also, he doesn't want to be in Green Bay, so that's kind of a another thing to consider outside of what's on the field is the off-the-field questions. So if he doesn't want to be in Green Bay, how much effort is he going to give them? So I'm staying away from Aaron Rodgers. Then we've got the Patriots versus the Dolphins. Damian Harris looks like an offensive catalyst and a workhorse. 26 touches. That's great. But, unfortunately... He fumbled the ball. Now, Ramondre Stevenson also fumbled the ball. And J.J. Taylor's not somebody that's going to get a bunch of carries. James White's not somebody that's going to get a bunch of carries. So I think we're going to see some fumble forgiveness. I think we will see some fumble forgiveness for Damian Harris. Speaking of fumble forgiveness, apparently we're getting some of that for Rojo too. And we'll talk about him a little later. But to touch upon what happened in the game, I don't understand in the Bucks game why Bruce Arians watches Demarcus Lawrence make a great defensive play, perfectly punch the ball out of Ronald Jones' hands while he's running. 95% of the running backs in the league are going to fumble that ball. And then he looks at Ronald Jones and says, yeah, you're not coming back in the game at all. What? What? He is a better runner than Leonard Fournette. And a lot of you may be saying, okay, well, he can't catch. Leonard Fournette can't catch either. And guess what? He proved it the next drive by causing an interception off his bobble, off his horrible hands now he did make a crazy crazy catch later down the line like a 50 50 ball which like was ridiculous I never would expect Leonard Fournette of all people to have a catch like that so it's kind of funny we got both sides of the spectrum but apparently Ronald Jones is going to start the game versus the Falcons so we'll see how I feel about that when we get to starts sits all that stuff But to continue on with the Patriots-Dolphins game, Damian Harris will be receiving fumble forgiveness as I project. Hopefully that's the case. Tua is playing more aggressive this year. Oh, who would have thought? He's got weapons now. Now he's playing more aggressive. And now Will Fuller's going to come back, so it's only going to get better for Tua. Because he also played a good defense. He was missing Will Fuller and played a top five likely defense in the Patriots, and he looks pretty decent. So... It's only going to get better for him. And Jalen Waddle looks really good. Then we got the Broncos-Giants game. Javonta out-touched Melvin Gordon. 
I couldn't think of his last name for a second. I don't know why. Javonta Williams outtouched Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon did have a 70-yard touchdown run, though. If people do not realize that, and they're just like, oh, man, Melvin Gordon had 100 yards on 11 carries. That's sick. Okay, make sure you send Melvin Gordon to that person because they were supposed to be running out the clock, which, I mean, they did effectively, but Melvin Gordon by no means should have been able to break that, and he did. So super unlikely that Melvin is going to be great throughout the rest of the season, but he might have a great week two because they have some good matchups. I think week three is actually a good matchup for the Broncos too, so it's going to be good for Melvin. They're playing the Jags week two. It'll help. If you're not able to sell him this week, you might be able to sell him after they play the Jags if they're running out the clock again and Melvin is getting some good opportunities in the red zone. Noah Fant was the most targeted person for the Broncos after the unfortunate Jerry Judy injury, which is likely now. It The initial report was six to eight weeks that he was going to be sidelined. Now it's four to six. So I'm just going to say six to be safe. So Jerry Judy's out for six weeks. Noah Fant's probably your go-to guy in that offense until then. Sterling Shepard was the most targeted giant. Kenny Galladay didn't do much. Evan Ingram was not there. Saquon did not do much. We'll see. I'm not really bought into Sterling Shepard completely, but he's worth a was worth a waiver pickup if you ended up getting him. Browns Chiefs, the Chiefs' big three are ridiculous as usual. Clyde, I think it's starting to be very clear to me that he just unfortunately has little touchdown upside, little touchdown opportunity. The touches are there for Clyde, and he's getting a big share of the running back touches. So really it's just when are they going to decide to try and give him some some touchdown opportunities some red zone looks so that's really just what's holding him back and then the browns running backs are both viable as always bears rams david montgomery played out of his mind very very good he looks quicker faster tougher like he wants it more he's more motivated maybe it's justin fields maybe it's the fields effect who knows but i think he's looking at his his team and he's like hey once Fields takes the field, that's confusing to say. Once Fields takes the field, we have a shot to do something here. And the Packers are struggling. The Lions suck. The Vikings are questionable. They just lost to the Bengals. We could take the division. I think he he's super mo- motivated and he looks great. So I'm all over David Montgomery. Stafford, he loves Cup. He likes Higby for sure. So those are the two guys he targeted a lot. I told you guys he was going to be crazy. Told you he was going to be crazy with the Rams. If Jared Goff was more efficient than Matt Stafford, despite, or or somewhere close to that, despite the gap in situations from Detroit to LA, then it was clear Stafford is going to be so much better than Goff was in LA. And it's already showing in the first week, in the first week, with a completely new team after being at only one franchise that drafted you at first overall like 10 years ago and it's your debut in a new stadium with a new jersey looking in the mirror seeing new colors a new logo all new players around you and you go out and do that versus the chicago bears defense love it love it stafford was my quarterback six if you remember in my rankings for this year and i think he's definitely going to get there so this offense is overall one you want pieces of. Robert Woods, don't freak out about it. He's still got a decent target share, and it's just one game. Ravens versus Raiders. Both offenses in the first half looked like absolute trash. Brian Edwards, 
he wins 50-50 balls, but he still can't separate. And that's a problem that I scouted, and that's an issue for me. I'm not a huge Brian Edwards guy. I was hoping I would see some separation this year. It doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. Darren Waller is showing that he is worth a first, like I have been preaching. Tyson Williams is a clear back-end RB2 if he retains the role he has now. We'll see how they start to use Le'Veon Bell, Devonta Freeman. And if Latavius Murray gets used more than he did, probably won't, but we'll see. Overall, Lamar just needs more help. He needs Rashad Bateman to get healthier and come back. He needs Tylen Wallace to start getting a little bit more involvement. He needs Sammy Watkins to be 100% and not get injured this season. He needs some help in the receiving game. He also should be a little bit more decisive. I saw like 21 pump fakes in that game. But crazy game overall too, how it all unfolded. But that's what I've got for the fantasy takeaways, some things that we could have learned from this week. I know I didn't hit every single game. Those are just the things that I thought were important that we talked about. So once we get back from break, we're going to talk about buy lows, sell highs, starts, sits, my five favorite betting lines, betting on the underdog, and we're going to go over my results from last week while we do that. So I keep it transparent here on the podcast. That's what we're going to be doing. So I'm excited for it. But with that said, we'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back in. I apologize. I've been a little bit sloppy, you know, might not be at the top of my game because, hey, it's been forever since I've done a football week recap. So, you know, it'll get smoother from here on out. So we're going to go over buy lows, sell highs to start. We're going to go with the buy lows first, and I'm going to start it off with Antonio Gibson. Brandon, how is Antonio Gibson a buy low? He looked good. He got 25 touches. Well, he's a buy low because he is going to be so much better moving forward. And I already looked at him in a higher light pre-draft before the season started than most other people. And it's been like that since he was drafted. I've been all over Antonio Gibson. And with 25 touches, that's domination. If he starts getting touchdowns, which he will, of course, and hopefully it starts this Thursday versus the Giants, if Antonio Gibson starts getting touches, he's going to become a elite running back. Sir, or touchdowns, I mean. He's going to become a elite running back. So he's a buy low for me right now. A lot of people might look at the points, think it's kind of pedestrian, think, ah, maybe he's just an RB2, whatever the case may be. No, he is a firm RB1. 25 touches is ridiculous. Go get Antonio Gibson. Tyler Boyd is another buy low. Ah, he had the third least targets among wide receivers. Jamar Chase and T. Higgins got more work. Yes. But also, that could be the case, and Tyler Boyd could still be really good throughout the rest of the season. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case. I do think Tyler Boyd will catch up in targets over the course of the season. But even if he didn't, if if Joe Burrow goes back to 35-40 passes a game, as he was last year, last year he was at 40, if he's even at 35... That's eight more passes to go around in a game than what Tyler Boyd and fellow company just just experienced. So you're getting eight more possible targets to go around. Probably two of those, or at least one, is going to Tyler Boyd, and you're getting eight targets a game for Boyd. That's plenty. That's plenty. He'll be a firm flex every week, and right now he's probably being valued way lower than that, especially because people are freaking out about Jamar Chase doing so good week one. LaVisca Chanel is another solid buy low. His A dot, 
his average depth of target was super, super low in game one. Now, it's probably going to be lower compared to most wide receivers. That's the way they're going to use him. But it's going to be better than what we saw in week one. And he got seven or eight targets, and that's plenty. He's probably going to get more because DJ Shark got 12 targets and only had four receptions. He was not efficient at all. So LaVisca Chenault, to me, he's somebody that's a good buy low as well. So both him and Tyler Boyd were wide receivers that I liked a lot before the season started. They didn't have a great week one, and it there was nothing in week one that I saw to change my viewpoint that I had on them coming into the season prior. So that's why I like them both. Javonta Williams is a good buy low too because people are going to freak out on rookies. They're going to want to drop rookies. They're going to want not want to wait on rookies. Javonta Williams... Michael Carter, Trey Sermon, all of these guys are by lows, but especially Javonta Williams because he's already out touching Melvin Gordon. Yet, if somebody doesn't pay attention and they don't realize that pretty much every single fantasy point that Melvin Gordon had was from that 70-yard touchdown run, and they just look at the fantasy points, oh my goodness, they're thinking Melvin Gordon is the guy there. They are mistaken. And that's why you got to go get Javonta Williams. Pretty simple. Because he's going to take over immediately. Aaron Jones, he's a good buy low because he had a bad week. Maybe people are freaking out because of how bad the Packers looked. Their game scripts are not going to be like that. So Aaron Jones is a tough one. I don't think many people are going to be freaking out about him. But you might be able to get him for a little cheaper than normal. This is a really good one, in my opinion. And it's Marquez Callaway. The reason he's a good one is because he had all this preseason hype. We've never seen it in the NFL yet. He's had all this preseason hype, and he did not come through at all in week one. He was projected between 12 and 15 points, depending on whether you're on ESPN or Yahoo or Sleeper or whatever the case may be for your system, whatever you use, your platform for fantasy. He was projected in a pretty decent range, a wide receiver two output range for PPR purposes. In that 12 to 15. He was nowhere near that. People are probably like, oh my goodness. Marquez is not going to be anything what we thought. Joan Johnson got two touchdowns. He's getting targets. All these guys are getting targets. And Jameis had an amazing day and Marquez did nothing. It's not going to get better than that. That's what they're thinking. But Jameis had like 148 passing yards. And very minimal passing attempts. So there wasn't even a lot of targets to go around. Plus, Marquez Callaway, who was he guarded by? One of the best corners in the league, Jair Alexander. The fact that he did nothing is not a surprise to me at all. So he's a great buy right now because I do think he will be the go-to target for Jameis until Michael Thomas gets back. Moving forward, when he's not shadowed by an amazing corner. Which brings me to my next buy, similar situation, Mike Evans. Tom Brady can throw it to Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Gronkowski, Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller. He's got all of those options, which are all very good options, not to mention Giovanni Bernard in the running back room. Why would he throw it to Mike Evans when there's only one good corner on Dallas and that one good corner decided to stay with Mike Evans the entire game? Why would you throw to Mike Evans? There's no reason to. Everybody else is just as good. Antonio Brown... Chris Godwin are just as good or very close to as good as Mike Evans as a player, except they're facing way, way worse defenders. So why bother with Mike Evans? Plus, like I've told you already, it seemed like he was kind of hurt and banged up. So first Atlanta, ain't no corner in Atlanta can guard Mike Evans. And as long as he really is fine health-wise, 
and he's you know better or looks better than whatever it seemed like was bothering him in the last game which he's had a long week to rest because it was a Thursday game and now they're getting three extra days to rest Mike Evans is going to probably be actually a good start next week too so or this coming week so Mike Evans is a buy low and the last one I have for you guys is Ezekiel Elliott Elliott had a bad game not didn't get a lot of touches didn't look super good but he's going to get more touches. He's going to look better because he's not going to be playing the back-to-back number one rush defense in the NFL. So I like Ezekiel Elliott as a buy low too. I'm not freaking out on him. Let's talk about some sell highs. Adam Thielen is one of them. He's on, or he faced a bad team and he had two touchdowns. I just, I don't see it continuing. Adam Thielen's only had double-digit touchdowns once in his career. It was last year. Over the last two years, we've seen his efficiency decrease and that's perfect like perfect along the lines of his age his age is increasing he's getting to the age drop off that's very dangerous for wide receivers and his efficiency is going down so outside of touchdowns everything else is a red flag so if you don't think he's going to get a touchdown every game then you should be selling Adam Thielen because you could probably get a lot for him right now Robbie Anderson is another one he's had three targets in week one he was out targeted by Terrace Marshall, a rookie who was just drafted, not even a first-round pick. And Terrace Marshall had six targets. He doubled Robbie Anderson's target share in the first week. Robbie Anderson was also playing with Sam Darnold versus the Jets. It was the perfect scenario. Robbie Anderson had all the motivation. Sam Darnold had all the motivation. And what's the one person Sam Darnold already had? prior chemistry with Robbie Anderson and he still only got three targets in a game where he might be like hey coach throw me a few extra targets please I want to get some payback and the coach would say absolutely and he only got three targets come on guys he had one bomb catch for a touchdown it completely saved him and a lot of you guys play with casuals and a lot of those casual guys don't look into things they're just gonna look at the fantasy total and they're gonna say hey Robbie Anderson was a wide receiver two or top end wide receiver three last year and <coughs> excuse me and he got a good start going already so why not and he's gonna be valued way higher than what he should be Jameis Winston is another one he that was just a whack game completely Taysom Hill might hurt him more often in the future plus the run game might take more touchdowns away from Jameis Winston in the future plus we've seen games like this from Jameis Winston if he does start turning it over, who knows how Sean Payton's going to react. I do think the turnovers will come eventually. When they do, sure, in that game, he might still have a decent fantasy output because he turned the ball over a bunch in Tampa and was good for fantasy still. But the problem is if he does that in New Orleans, he's going to get replaced. At least that's how I feel. So Jameis is like a high-risk, medium, or a high-reward, medium-risk type player for me. That's why I'm trying to sell him high right now. Melvin Gordon is another one. Just like Robbie Anderson, all that production came from one big touchdown play. 70-yard touchdown run. He's already getting out touched by Javonta Williams. I'm trying to sell Melvin Gordon for what I can. Mark Ingram, he's another good sell. He had 29 touches. He's the clear RB1. He looked pretty good. So it makes sense that people, especially in need of running back, if you drafted somewhat early, you look at the teams that had a Cam Akers, that had a J.K. Dobbins, that had a Travis Etienne, that have a James Robinson. All those guys are already underperforming already seen done people that had Raheem Mostert there's another one so you look at those people they're probably really in 
desperate need of a running back. And if you happen to have Mark Ingram, I would give him to that person for whatever you can get that's a better value than Ingram, obviously. And the reason he's a sell for me is because of game script. The Texans were dominating the Jaguars. That is not going to happen for them at all the rest of the season. I don't even think they'll beat the Jaguars the next time they play the Jaguars. So, which is like, I think, week 9 or 10 or something. So, if the Texans are going to get dominated most of the time, or at least lose pretty much every single game moving forward, they're not going to be able to run the ball 29 times as a team, much less give 29 carries to Mark Ingram. So, that's why I'm trying to sell Mark Ingram. Antonio Brown's another one. He had a 14% target share. Now, let me explain to you what the problem here is. Because 14% target share, okay, what does that really mean? A lot of people don't study target share like I do. So let's you know break it down a different way. Antonio Brown had seven targets. Tom Brady threw the ball 50 times. Tom Brady is on average going to throw between 35 and 38 times a game this season for the Buccaneers. Maybe at most... His average over the season will be 40 times a game, okay? Especially with such a good defense. Tom Brady threw way more than usual, and Mike Evans was not getting targeted as much as usual because he had the only good corner covering him, and he's probably banged up a little bit and just hasn't said anything to anyone. With all of those things coming together, Antonio Brown only got seven targets. If Tom Brady goes back down to throwing 40 times a game, That takes 10 passes off the board. That's taking two targets away from Antonio Brown, or at least one target away from Antonio Brown. So now you're looking at Antonio Brown having five to six targets a game for the rest of the season. That's not even including the fact that if Mike Evans gets more targets, because, you know, there's going to be matchups where there's not only one good corner on the field, there's either none or there's two, and who knows where the second one's going to go outside of being on Mike Evans. So... There's going to be plenty of games where Mike Evans is the most targeted wide receiver. Where are those targets going to come from? Is it going to come from Gronk, maybe? From Godwin, maybe? From the running backs, maybe? Or it might come from Antonio Brown. So Antonio Brown is viewed as a wide receiver too right now. That is not going to be the case, in my opinion, unless he just gets lucky with touchdowns or something happens to the Bucs' defense and Brady has to throw 50 times a game. Or the run game for the Bucs completely diminishes, which is not going to happen. So... That's why Antonio Brown's a sell for me. And then the last one is Josh Jacobs. He had two touchdowns. He's always banged up. Always. He also does not get that many touches because Kenyon Drake is there. And Kenyon Drake actually looked pretty good as a pass blocker, as a receiver, and as a runner. So with all of those things considered, Josh Jacobs is a pretty easy sell for me because he's got RB1 numbers through the first week. People might look at him as like a RB 10 to 12 range, which is not going to be the case in my opinion. So Josh Jacobs is also a sell. With that said, that finishes, concludes, sell highs, buy lows. That's the trade section of the podcast. Now we get to get into my starts and sits. We'll start with the starts, but first we'll go over the results from last week. Like I said, I keep it transparent. I said start Lamar Jackson versus the Raiders. Thought it was a good matchup. Lamar Jackson actually didn't look that good. He didn't have too much help. Marquise Brown had a nice day, though. And Lamar Jackson did not perform to the level he needed to to be worth being in the start column for me. So that was a miss. I also said, start Kyler. Obviously, we're starting Kyler. But I said, start Kyler for DFS. He's worth the price. You want to pay up for Kyler this week. He had 34.5 points. I believe he was the number one scoring quarterback on the week. So that was a huge hit. I said, start Ronald Jones. Well, how am I supposed to know that Bruce Arians is going to be super unreasonable and after a perfect defensive play, 
he's going to keep Ronald Jones on the bench the rest of the, the day. That kind of sucked, but I still said to do it, and if you listened, it hurt you. He got negative points, so that's a miss. Then I said start Brandon Cooks. He's super cheap, especially in DFS. You want to throw him in your lineups and in just in regular games. Well, he had 18.2 points. He's one of the top receivers on the week. That's a nice hit. I said start James Robinson. He wasn't terrible, but he only had 8.4 points. I was expecting more like 15 to 20 because I thought the Jaguars were going to be able to run all over the Texans. That was not the case. Plus, they fell behind, so they weren't even able to run the ball much at all. So that was a miss. I said, hey, play Jalen Hurts in DFS and start him in your regular leagues. He was a top five quarterback scorer on the week with 27.7 points. That was a nice hit. And then lastly, I said start Tyler Boyd. Turns out the Bengals dominated the Vikings better than what I would have ever imagined, and Joe Burrow didn't have to throw a lot at all, leading to Tyler Boyd not getting many targets, so he only had 6.2 points, so that was a miss. Now, what about this week? This week, I think I'm going to be a little more accurate, because now we've got information, we've got intel. So, I like Devonta Smith a lot versus the Niners. The Niners are getting banged up right now at the corner position, they already don't have crazy good corners, and we just watched Jared Goff throw all over them. Now, granted, it wasn't to the wide receivers, really, but if Jared Goff can get it done, Jimmy Garoppolo can get it done. Or, sorry, sorry, that's obviously the Niners quarterback. If Jared Goff could get it done, try this again, Jalen Hurts can get it done, and he's going to get it done to Devonta Smith, who had four targets in a row at one point in his first game, in his NFL debut, and had a good overall target share in general, and looked really good. So, Devonta Smith, I like him a lot. I'm starting versus the Niners and playing him in DFS. Melvin Gordon, Javonta Williams, both of them. You could take your shots. I think that the Broncos are going to dominate time of possession versus the Jaguars. I think that defense is going to give Trevor Lawrence a very difficult time. If the Texans gave that offense a hard time, trust me, the Broncos are light years ahead of the Texans. They're going to give that offense a very, very tough time. They're probably going to dominate that game and because of it, they're going to run the ball over and over and over. And Melvin and Javante could combine for 30 touches total. So that's why I like them both versus the Jags defense, which also sucks, which means you're looking at high efficiency in those touches. Allen Robinson versus the Bengals. That's a nice one. I was kind of scared and staying away from Allen Robinson. Glad I did last week because he was covered by Jalen Ramsey for a, a decent portion of the game. And I actually sat him in a lot of my regular leagues, just straight up sat him, and it worked out, but I think he's going to have a bounce back for the Bengals. They got rid of William Jackson. They don't have a corner that can run with Allen Robinson at all, so I think this is going to be the day that he comes back and puts up wide receiver one numbers. The Bucks wide receivers, all three of them versus Atlanta, so here's the thing. If you're buying into what I'm saying about AB, but you're not able to pull a trade off, don't freak out because I think AB will have a good week again versus Atlanta but at that point it's time to sell and Mike Evans same thing Chris Godwin same thing all three Bucks wide receivers good to go versus Atlanta I think it's gonna be for at least the Bucks side of it high scoring I think they're gonna throw the ball a decent amount and that's the biggest weakness in Atlanta's defense so that's why I like all three Bucks wide receivers Kyler Murray versus the Vikings slam him in DFS again he will be worth the price Russell Wilson versus the Titans he will be Worth the price as well in DFS. Obviously, you guys, you are starting these guys in regular leagues. That's why I'm saying DFS, you want to pay the price for these guys. Russell Wilson also. He's facing the Titans, right? Kyler Murray just went crazy on the Titans. 
I love Kyler Murray, but Russell Wilson's better than Kyler Murray. Not for fantasy purposes always. Usually not because he doesn't run as much. But Russell Wilson's got Tyler Lockhead. DK's got plenty of weapons. I like this game a lot for him. And that's a nice stack to run, which is why I think Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are also both great starts versus the Titans. So basically all your Seahawks. And then Mike Williams and Justin Herbert together, that's a nice stack as well. Start those guys versus the Cowboys, and then you could bring it back, as C always says, bring it back with a Cowboys player like a CeeDee Lamb or an Amari Cooper. So Mike Williams and Justin Herbert, it's going to be a high-scoring game. We're going to talk about that later in best bets because I think that's going to be one of my five best bets this week. Hopefully we can do better than we did week one. A lot of crazy, crazy nonsense and crazy results from week one. I think we can all agree on that. But Mike Williams and Herbert are guys I like a lot versus the Cowboys this week. And this one, I I, I was going to say, Brandon, just keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. If you're right, you can profit off of it. But it's not worth the risk. It's not worth putting out there in the fantasy space because you're going to get toasted if you're wrong. And I just explained all that so that you understand the risk with this call. But Ronald Jones versus Atlanta... He's, Bruce Arians said he's going to come out as a starter. Atlanta does not have a good defense. Miles Sanders ran all over Atlanta. Kenny Gainwell ran all over Atlanta. Jalen Hurts ran all over Atlanta. Ronald Jones, as long as he doesn't fumble the ball, is going to run all over Atlanta. So especially if the Bucks get up early, they're going to be able to just run the ball over and over. So I, I know it's crazy because he just got negative points and he just burned a bunch of people. And I called him as a start last week, but you have to have short memory in fantasy football. Now, you want to remember to learn, but you don't want to hold a grudge. I think everyone that held a grudge against Joe Mixon is already regretting that. So that's a good example. So Ronald Jones versus Atlanta, I'm going to take the risk. If you want to take the risk, go for it. There's definitely profit to be made and there's upside there. But don't come after me because I'm telling you it's risky. Don't come after me if it doesn't work out for you. I like taking risks in fantasy. That's how you win. Now let's talk about some sits. But first, we'll look at last week. Last week, I said, sit Saquon Barkley. That worked out amazing. He had less than five points. I said, sit the Broncos running backs. It would have worked out great until Melvin Gordon broke that huge run. So technically, that was a miss. Here was a miss for sure. I said, sit David Montgomery. I expected that Rams defense to look a lot better. Plus, Montgomery looked a lot better than I would have thought. I like Montgomery, and I liked him for the season. I just didn't like the matchup. Turns out he was better than the matchup. So I was wrong there too. I said sit Ezekiel Elliott. A lot of people wanted to give me a hard time about it. How can you sit a first round pick? Well, he had six points. So that's how. So that was a hit. I said sit Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, some people's favorite new quarterback in the league. He only had 13 points. That's abysmal for a quarterback. So that was a nice hit. I said sit even after Zach Moss got declared out and people were like, oh, maybe Devin Singletary is a good play now because he's the only one, I still said, no, keep him on the bench. He only got nine points, not even double digits, despite being the only running back there. So that was a nice hit too. DeAndre Swift, I told you guys to sit him. I was worried about the injury and the game script. They were able to survive a little bit longer than I would have expected. But honestly, game script's not that important for DeAndre Swift because he gets receptions. The biggest thing for me was the injury. Well, he looked really good. So, and we got confirmation that he is going to get targeted a whole bunch. So I was wrong there. He had 24.4 points. So that was a huge miss. Now let's talk about this week. Once again, I'm saying sit Saquon Barkley. We've got the Giants 
versus the Washington football team on Thursday. That's a horrible matchup. Horrible matchup. And Saquon is probably still not going to get much more work than he just did in the last game. He's probably not going to look much better either. So sit Saquon Barkley. Another guy you should be sitting, Trevor Lawrence versus the Broncos. Horrible matchup. Trevor Lawrence has got some developing to do. That offense needs some developing as a whole. And the play calling needs to get better. DJ Moore versus the Saints. That's a sit for me because I think Marshawn Lattimore will be on DJ Moore most of the time, which will cause Darnold, who's already going to have a tough time versus the Saints. I'll I'll say he looked all right versus the Jets, right? He looked good versus the Jets. But that's the Jets. The Jets defense is nowhere near the Saints defense that just held Aaron Rodgers to zero touchdowns and three total points for his offense. So I don't think Sam Darnold's going to look good at all versus the Saints. And it's not going to be to DJ Moore for sure. He's probably going to be looking more Terrace Marshall, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey all day. Joe Burrow's another sit for me versus the Bears. That D-line is going to give Joe Burrow hell. And also sit Mike Davis versus the Bucks. You're pretty much going to be sitting every running back versus the Bucks unless they're heavily revolved in the receiving game. Whenever you're going to get like even a Derrick Henry, I don't think the Bucks play the Titans. It's just an example. Even a Derrick Henry, somebody who's super good that you never want to sit, he doesn't get receiving work. And versus a team like the Bucks, especially because they put up points, not only do the Bucks have the number one rush defense, but another reason why that they're deadly for fantasy running backs is because they get up quick. And once a team falls behind, they don't want to run it, especially if the rush defense is the number one defense in the league. So it's like a double, a second reason not to run the ball. So that's why you're pretty much always going to sit the running back versus the Bucks. But I'm sitting Mike Davis. He is revolved, oh my goodness, involved in the receiving game. But still, he's not talented enough. I don't think he's going to score or anything like that. So Mike Davis is a sit for me. With that said, now we'll get to the betting portion of the podcast. And we'll go over the five favorite betting lines. Last year, I was 11-8. and eight. Well, unfortunately, we're starting with a losing record in week one. I went 2-3 and three last week. I took the Packers to beat the Saints and to cover the 4.5 spread. That was not close, obviously. But I don't think anybody could have predicted anything close to what happened in that game. So I don't feel bad about it. I took the 49ers to cover 7.5 versus the Lions. They won by 9, so we won that bet. I took the over on the Eagles-Falcons game. It was at 40.5. They combined for 38 points. The Eagles did their share. They did their part. The Falcons just were horrible, so I lost that bet. I took the Rams to cover 7 points versus the Bears. I knew that was going to be domination, and it was. So we were right there. And then the other one I got wrong, the third one was I took the Jets to cover the 4.5 versus the Panthers. They lost by 5, so that was super, super close. But got that one wrong. So started 2-3. and Now we've got a little bit better of an understanding of teams, and I feel more comfortable this week actually picking bets. And I'm starting it with the Patriots versus the Jets. The Patriots are favored by 5.5 as of time of recording, which is Tuesday night. So you're listening to this Wednesday morning. The lines are probably still the same. So go out there and capitalize on them. The Patriots are favored by 5.5 versus the Jets. It's a division game. Usually you want to stay away from those. But the Jets have new coaching, a new quarterback, a rookie quarterback. Bill Belichick always dominates rookie quarterbacks. And the, the talent disparity between these teams is not even close. I'm taking the Patriots for sure. I think they're going to dominate the Jets. So that's the first bet. Second bet is the Eagles. I'm taking them to cover the three and a half point spread that the 49ers are favored over them by. 
So the Eagles are plus three and a half right now. I'm taking them to cover that. I think they might outright, outright win the game because think about it this way. The Eagles have a good run defense and they have one good corner. The 49ers are going to need Jimmy G to come through and win this game for them. How many games has Jimmy G ever won for a team? Actually answer that for me. Probably zero. All the games the 49ers win is based off defense and the run game. Well, Trey Sermon was inactive. Raheem Mostert's out for the season. Elijah Mitchell looked good, but, I mean, come on. Plus, the defense was not even amazing. Jared Goff was doing stuff against them. So, and that line's offense, which has no wide receivers. So, Jalen Hurts, Devonta Smith, Jalen Rager, Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, Kenny Gainwell, they're going to move the ball. They're going to be able to move the ball versus the 49ers. Plus, they're going to be able to do decent enough against the run that Jimmy G's going to have to step it up. And if he doesn't, they might lose the game completely. The fact that they're favored, the 49ers, by 3.5, I think that's easy for me. I'm going to take the Eagles. The Rams are favored by 4.5 versus the Colts. Until Vegas catches up and until average consensus consumer fantasy or regular football consumer catches up to how good the Rams are and how good they will continue to get as Stafford gets more and more reps in the system, I'm going to take the Rams over and over and over. They're only favored by four and a half, but against the Colts, I think this is going to be another game that's probably not that close. The Rams probably win more by like eight or ten points, so I'm going to take the Rams there. And then we've got the Chargers-Cowboys game. I told you we would come back to this. The over-under is 55. It's the highest over-under of the week, and I still think it's going to hit the over. The Chargers have a good offense, and versus a horrible Cowboys defense, they're definitely going to put up points. The Cowboys defense or the Cowboys offense is going to put up points against everyone. Everyone. If they put up points like that versus the Tampa defense, yes, I know our secondary got super, super hurt. So that was a little rough. But the Cowboys have so many weapons and Dak looks really good. They're going to be able to put points up and they have a good offensive line against anybody. So if you think the Cowboys can put up 25 points, 30 points, which I think they can any given week, the Chargers are going to do so for sure to keep up with them, especially because the Cowboys won't be able to stop it. So I'm going to take the over. I think that game is going to be like 35-34 or something ridiculous. Then the last bet is the Chiefs versus the Ravens. Chiefs are favored by four. The Ravens, in my opinion, looked horrible versus the Raiders. The Chiefs, on the other hand, look very good. So I'm going to take the Chiefs to cover and win by more than four. Those are my five favorite betting lines of the week. And to finish out, We've got the last section. It's betting on the underdog. So, if you remember, betting on the underdog. I don't know why it didn't take five games last last week. I totally screwed the pooch on that one. I only picked four games. The whole premise is to pick five games, try to hit on three of them, because we're looking at games where a team is favored to lose by three points or more. So the spread can't be less than three, and I'm taking that underdog to outright win the game. So I'm trying to predict the upsets of the week basically. So that's betting on the underdog. Last week, I did pretty good. I called Eagles versus Falcons. Falcons were favored by three or three and a half. I took the Eagles. Eagles won. I took the Bengals against the Vikings. I told you guys I didn't have a logical reason. It doesn't make sense. The Bengals have better receivers. Their quarterback is just as good. Their offensive line is better. Their running game is better. Their defense is better. But for some reason, I felt like the Bengals were going to just win the game. And I told you guys that. I was honest. I said, I don't know how to explain it, but I just have a gut call on this one. And the gut came in clutch. So I got that one too. That's already two for two. I called Jets against Panthers. That one was wrong. Not too far off though. The Giants against the Broncos. 
the Giants suck. Sorry, all my all my friends that are Giants fans, but they do. And then I don't know why I didn't put in a fifth one, but I remember when I was setting up the podcast, I was going to say Cardinals versus Titans, so I actually could have got my three out of five, but I'm not going to take credit because I didn't say it. So two out of four, that's really good, though, because we're taking underdogs. So this week's predictions, the five underdogs that I'm going to take to outright win, hopefully hit three of them because that would be astounding. I'm going to take the Eagles versus the Niners. We already kind of talked about that. I'm going to take the Raiders versus the Steelers. Steelers are favored. I think the Raiders can definitely win that game. I'm going to take the Vikings versus the Cardinals. You might think that that's crazy, right? The Vikings just lost to the Bengals, and the Cardinals just demolished the Titans. That that should be like, okay, the Cardinals are going to wax the Vikings. But this is a gut call for me, again. And usually my gut calls are more accurate than my logical processes. Not in regards to fantasy, but in regards to betting. I don't know why. That's just how it works for me. And when I look at this matchup, I just feel like I feel like Dalvin Cook is going to go off. I really feel like he's going to go off. I think Justin Jefferson's going to go off. Thielen will probably, I feel like he's going to be a little more quiet. But Jefferson and Cook are going to have a day versus the Cardinals. And I think the Vikings, after seeing what the Cardinals just did, are going to come up with a juicy game plan on defense. That's what Zimmer's all about. So I think the Vikings are going to actually look pretty good versus the Cardinals. I think they might be able to pull it out. I, I wouldn't bet on it, but we have to pick underdogs here, and that's what I'm going with. So that's three. Then we'll take the Cowboys versus the Chargers. The Cowboys are always going to be a good underdog to bet on just because of how high-powered their offense is. And lastly, I'm going to take the Bengals versus the Bears. If the Bears don't start Justin Fields, which they're not going to, if they don't start Justin Fields, then the Bengals could definitely beat them, especially you might be saying, ooh, Andy Dalton, revenge game. Well, how about the Bengals just want to make make Andy Dalton look stupid and look bad? So I like the Bengals versus the Bears. Bengals definitely have a better offense as of right now. Well, I wouldn't say, yeah, you know what? I am going to say definitely because the Bears' offensive line is not very good either. So, and Joe Mixon, David Montgomery, same playing field, and the, the wide receiver cores are on the same playing field. So really, it's who do you like better the Bears quarterback or Joe Burrow? I like Joe Burrow better because Fields ain't starting. So I'll take the the Bengals to be my fifth underdog. So once again, that's Eagles, Raiders, Vikings, Cowboys, Bengals. Those are my five favorite underdogs of the week. And lastly, I would say, hey, let's talk about Survivor Pool. I made top 3% in 2019, made top 3% in 2020. Well, I got knocked out week one <laughs> because I said, you know what? I'm a Bucks fan. Bruce Arian says, no risk it, no biscuit. It worked out for us. We won a Super Bowl. Let me try the same thing in my survivor pool. So I took the Jaguars with a rookie quarterback, a brand new coach, versus the Texans in week one. That worked out horribly, so I got knocked out week one. It is what it is. But you know what? It's only a $30,000 pool, so I'm not worried about it. And there's no difference getting knocked out week one or getting knocked out week 13 like I do every year. And, you know... Top 3% or last place, no difference. Profit is zero for both. So whatever. Anyways, no survivor picks from here on out. You could tell me if you're alive and, and you want my opinion. But you can kind of get the gist of who I think is going to win based off the betting portion of the podcast. So I think that'll help in that way. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And uh, reach out to your friends. Tell them about the podcast. I definitely appreciate it. If you haven't written a review, please do so for me. Helps me out immensely. Good luck this week, guys. May all of our players stay healthy, not get hurt, and I'll see you on the other side.
of week two. Peace. Thank you.